0: You can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 16, which is the last chapter in Corinthians. My wife is going to be leading the children out for junior church. All right, so they're going to be going for that. So you can turn to 1 Corinthians 16. It is the last chapter in the book. It's not the last sermon in the book. There are 24 verses in chapter 16. And today we're going to cover the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16. This is a beautiful text. I want to read this to you. And then we'll just kind of work our way through in what I hope is somewhat a simple exposition of the text. And my aim and desire is that we as a church family would be encouraged in relationship to generosity. I think that's the aim of this text, and I pray that that is the end that God would accomplish in our hearts today. And and, and I will say this, there's a lot of times that as a pastor you preach a text of Scripture and you know the specific topic that it addresses... And often God uses His Word in a powerful way to address topics that were unintended in your own heart. So as you listen, our, our basic theme is going to be on the theme of generosity as Christian lifestyle motivated by the gospel, but there are underlying issues that often are touched on as you work through a text like this. So be sensitive as God guides you through this text this morning. So let's read verses 1 through 4. The text says now about the collection for the Lord's people. So the word now at the beginning of this text indicates that Paul is simply moving from the topic of spiritual gifts and church life to the topic of giving and church life. Okay, So that word is there, just a signal that you're making a transition in topic. The topic is obvious. It's about the collection for the Lord's people. Here's what Paul says. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And then he's going to reiterate that. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send with your, and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then they will accompany me. So, you get a sense of Paul's heart. He's intent on a plan. That plan is that he would send these individuals with the gift to Jerusalem. But as the Spirit of God guides on Paul's heart, that he should accompany that gift with them, he's open to that option. Okay? So, this morning, we're looking at the topic of generosity and giving. Now, a lot of times people will have visited our church for a few weeks and they'll find one of the pastoral team members and one of the elders and they'll say, How do I give at the chapel? And I think that's because we don't do our offerings in a traditional fashion. One of the things you'll find as you read through this text is the text doesn't specifically address how the offering is received, meaning it doesn't deal with the mechanical aspect. We're going to pass a a basket, we're going to pass a plate. It doesn't address that at all. So as a church family, what we've done historically, I would say for about 15 years, is we've used a box just inside the front door, and that's where our offering is taken up. It is, in fact, part of our worship as we come. It's part of our offering of ourselves and of our life and of our resources to God. Here's the question. Why do we do it that way? I think if if you're kind of dialed into the age in which we live, you probably have some of an understanding of why we do that. All right? Our desire is to downplay the typical stigma that is attached to giving in churches. Where there is usually a begathon that precedes the passing of the plate, and people begrudgingly put something into the plate because they feel pressure or obligated. They're concerned, right? Because we're all in flesh. We're concerned about the, what the person sitting beside us is going to think if we simply pass the plate. Okay? I've heard one pastor say it this way He said, Come to church and leave your wallet at home. All right? What's he saying? If you're a person who is seeking to know Christ, And you're desirous of coming to understand what he accomplished for you on the cross of Christ. We don't want money to get in the way of that. We don't want you to come with the suspicion that the church is all about money and have it validated by someone pressuring you to give. Okay, does that make sense? All right, because people have a suspicion in our age because of plentiful abuses in relationship to finances and church life. All right, it's not a secret. That there are many out there that I would classify simply as charlatans who do a lot of fundraising to aggrandize their own lives. All right? I would argue that that is not a biblical approach to giving. It's not a biblical approach to the collection. And I think it often distorts and inhibits people from understanding the truth of what Christ did for them. Okay, so that's just a quick explanation. At times we like to clarify that, that the reason we do it this way is so that we're, we, we don't make money an issue, but... Our church is supported by the giving of people that attend here regularly and own this as their church family. Okay, so it is a responsibility that we have. How it's taken up differs amongst churches. Second question I want to address is why are we doing this topic now? Okay, the honest truth is because it's what's next in the book that we're working our way through, trusting that God will direct and meet the various needs according to the timing that he establishes by his word. And so this is the next text, okay? Okay. And you happen to be here on this Sunday. so, And I, I sincerely mean this. My, our church is by and large generous. Um, when we had special needs in relationship to getting to completion on the building, people stepped up. We didn't have to pressure. We made people aware in an authentic way about the need and told you when the need was met. And I thank God for that. I don't ever want to be in a context as a pastor where we have to beg for money. Okay, it's a wonderful thing when people get a generous heart before God, driven by the gospel, and the needs of the work of God are beautifully and powerfully met according to His plan and design. And My desire this morning is to encourage this. It's not because we have a specific glaring need, it's because this is part of life together in Jesus Christ, our giving and support of the work that God is doing in our local community. So the aim is to instruct and encourage. So verse 16 says now about the collection. And I think one of the things that I I just kind of, as I went through this text, it becomes very clear that giving was the normal way that the work of God was supported and sponsored in the New Testament church. Okay, you can read through numerous texts in the New Testament that address this issue of supporting those that are involved in church ministry so that the work of God can continue and be completed. So the first thing Paul's going to do is address the collection. Then he's going to talk about the distribution of the collection. Then he's going to talk about the motivation of giving. Okay, so we're going to just walk through three steps. First of all, the collection, then the distribution, then the motivation for giving. So let's talk about how it was to be done. And simply what, is, what Paul is going to do is give us some basic principles about giving. Okay, And it's tied to what he taught the church in Galatians. So let's just work our way through this. Number one, in relationship to how the collection is done, here's what Paul's saying. Giving is the responsibility of believers. Okay, One thing that should be characteristic or typical of God's children is that they are giving people. Okay, giving is to be the kind of the the normative characteristic of the church it throughout the New Testament is universally taught And practiced both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament You'll find there are regular times when there are opportunities for needs to be met That need is extended to the people of God and they respond out of their resources to see that those needs are met now Here's what what I would argue is a basic principle about your relationship to your local church family, okay? You and I should be part of a church family where we give and support on a regular basis. I think that's a principle that you can just kind of lay down and establish as a normative teaching of the New Testament. What don't we do, okay? Here's what we don't do. We as a church family do not do fundraisers, we don't sell dinners, and we don't do raffles. So if that's disappointing to you, you might want to just get up and walk out, okay? All right, well, you're not going to get any of those opportunities. Why? Because the Bible is very clear about how the church of God is to be supported. The church of God is not to be supported by Christians coming up with kind of unique and fantastic ways of raising funds from the community around them. That has never been the design of God. His design has always been that His people would support his work out of a heart that is filled with gratitude for what he has done in their lives. If you're visiting with us today, and you're in a place where you're saying, Tim, I'm just trying to get my arms around what biblical Christianity is. I'm trying to understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. I want to know how it starts, how it begins, how it continues. I want to understand that. I want to say this to you, and I hope you understand how I say it. Don't give anything. Okay, because here's what happens. We tend to be religious in our thinking. Okay, and what I mean by that is we tend to think if we give something to God, God is now somehow indebted to us. Right? And we taught this to our children, didn't we? You give them something, what do you say? What do you say? Right? That that gift always involves some level of reciprocation. Say thank you, right? And here's what we want people in the context of church life to understand. Your relationship to God as a sinner in need of His grace cannot be purchased by any monetary gift. You cannot increase your chances of getting into God's love and grace by what you give. Everything you need has been paid in full for you. And the first thing you need to do is receive a gift from God that fills your heart with joy and gratitude so that you then begin to assist in ministries that are doing the same thing for others. Okay? So it's a heart that is charged by the gospel. That overflows with the desire to say, I want others to know this truth. And if there's a way that my resources can be used to advance the message of the gospel, I want to be part of that. Okay? So it's to be done By the children of God. Now let's just work our way through real quick. Verse 2 he says this. On the first day of the week. And that would be typically in the New Testament era. Resurrection day. And I love the way this text comes into play. You have a discussion about resurrection. And you have resurrection day. In which we are responding to the grace and power of God. So giving is to flow out of heart that is full of gratitude, it's to be done on a regular basis, okay? It's on the first day of the week. When believers meet, it's part of weekly worship. So what does that mean? I think it means this simply. Giving is to be systematic, okay? Meaning there should be a regularity to giving so that when I get a paycheck, I have an understanding that a portion of what I am receiving should be given to the work of God so that what He's doing through my life can continue. Okay, In the Old Testament, that was called a tithe. Okay, And I'll come back to that in a minute. That was to take a portion of what God had given to you and devote that to the work that God is doing around you and in your life so that you're part of it. So that happened on the first day of the week. And I want you also to notice that he says, let each one of you set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So the giving is systematic. Each one that receives something, and if they were farmers, they were receiving produce, they would take a portion of it and say, this is devoted to meeting the needs of people around me. I want to do the work of God. Okay, so it was systematic. It was never to be impulsive. It was never to be an afterthought. I think what starts to emerge is that this, this pattern of giving was part of following a normal... Uh, a, a normal habit of life okay well when i receive something in response to my effort and work there's something else that i need to do with that now to encourage the work of god in my personal life if you've ever heard me talk on giving i've shared this illustration i think every parent should take time to communicate to their children that when god blesses you you should take a portion of what he gives you and devote that to his work okay i remember getting my first job i was 13 years old I didn't even know I wanted a job. I got home and my dad said, hey, I talked to the local farmer and I got you a job. I was like, I didn't even know I wanted a job, right? So I wanted you to have a job. So I went and I worked and I was paid $1.90 an hour, okay? A raging wage, okay? And I remember coming home with my first paycheck. This is one of the most discouraging days of my life. (laughs) Because if your dad got you a job, there's probably another hook in that, right? So... I come home with my paycheck and I show it to my mom. And she says, okay, we're going to take it to the bank and you're going to take out 10% to give to God's work. And it was an arbitrary number based on an Old Testament principle. I'm not saying that that's law. But she said, you can take 10% and that's for you to give to God. 10% for you and the rest stays in the bank. And I was like, I had no idea, I had no idea. that's what my dad did with this check. Which wasn't what he did, okay? So, I, from a young age, okay, for me personally, it, when, when you worked and were blessed by God using god given effort and remuneration came, it was just part of life for me. I never had to begin giving to God because I was forced to you know some of you are thinking oh that 's probably bad no, to be honest with you, there you tell your kids to tell the truth, right? you tell them no, you have to tell the truth right you 're Teaching them to live in an honorable way that honors God. Generosity is one of the clear directives of Scripture. So for every parent, I would encourage you, when your child gets a birthday gift, encourage them. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you don't practice generosity in your life, you will find it impossible and guilt-producing to teach your child to be generous. So one of the things we often have to do is reckon with our own heart before God and our own relationship to material things before we begin to teach the next generation. So I would encourage you, adopt a generous lifestyle. Figure out how you believe God wants that done in your life. And then pass that truth on to the next generation so that they don't think that it's all about them. Okay? And do that with birthday gifts. Do that with Christmas presents. Do that with unexpected blessings. Let your kids know when God's poured a blessing into your life. And explain to them how you're responding to it. That you could buy them a new bike or a new gift or whatever. But there are other priorities in the life of a Christian, and that is to be systematically worked out in our lives. It is to be habitual, predictable, that that kind of activity is present. It's part of who we are. Now, the other thing that this text states very clearly is that each one should set aside on the first day a a sum of money, and here's what the text says, in keeping with your income. Okay, so the word that I'm I'm going to use to describe that principle is that giving is to be systematic and then proportionate. Okay? God's Word is never concerned about the size of the gifts. We sadly live in an age where people get honored for giving big gifts to charities and they get their names put on buildings because it's all about... Okay? So... Is God concerned about the amount? I'm going to just, I tell you, I reference one account for you. The widow's two mites. Okay? Jesus stopped everything in the temple for his disciples. He froze the frame and said, watch this. And what does he do? He points to a woman who is giving sacrificially. The text doesn't give us a lot of other information, but it does tell us this. That from heaven's perspective, she had done more than all the wealthy who preceded her. God's calculus, God's calculation of generosity is very different than that of the world. Okay, He stops everything and says, that was generous giving. Out of her poverty, she put in more than all, and we don't know if it's all combined or every individual. It really doesn't matter. But what it is saying, that heaven takes notice of generosity when it is practiced by the children of God. That should encourage your heart. And and when I come to the conclusion, I'm going to say why that's important. Okay? But the giving here is, as God has prospered you, and I think that the clear teaching here is this. All of us go through seasons in our lives financially, don't we? We go through times when there's an abundance And we go through times when things are tough. It's hard to get it together. Okay? This text values every gift. Okay? And I heard it said this way, somewhat like this. There's an equal sacrifice, but an unequal contribution or a different contribution, right? If God has blessed you abundantly, your gift should be abundant. And if God has you in a place where you're just getting by right now, then your gift is going to reflect that. God understands that. What he wants you to do is have a a heart that is generous, that you're working it out in the context that he has you in, in his sovereign plan today. Okay? There are oftentimes all of us have probably wished, I wish when I saw that need, I could have done more. You know what God wants you to do? He doesn't want you to do more. He wants you to do what he's enabled you to do by the position he has you in in life today. Right? So there's different circumstances, I think, of the ladies from the Hoving Home, right? You guys are in a place where... There is not an abundance, right? Because you're not in a place where you're working right now. But one day God's going to move you to a place where you get back on your feet, you get back into life, and I want you to remember, as God prospers you, okay? So I don't live with regret today, but I live where I am. That I'm not wishing I could give what other people could give, but I'm glad to give what God has enabled me to give today, right? That's the attitude that this text clearly begins to foster, Here's what 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says. It says, if the willingness is there, okay, notice, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one wishes they had. Okay, I'm giving you a slight twist on the end of that verse. Okay? It's easy to downplay your sacrifice because of its size. And to do that is to misunderstand the teaching of the Word of God most broadly in relationship to giving. God loves a generous heart. God encourages a generous heart. Now here's what I believe. Okay, I believe, and it's why we don't talk a lot about money. I kind of drew the straw on the giving text. Okay, I'll tell you this. Amongst the pastoral team, we weren't fighting over who's going to talk about giving. Okay, it's kind of the way you've been here the longest, so you should take care of this, because you know what's been said in the past. You can't check out with Doug and James, because they're both away today, so. All right, so I was like, no, I I actually, I don't mind preaching on giving, okay? Here's what I tell people. When it comes to talking proportion, all right, I believe that leaders live from example, okay? What I mean by that is this. I'm not embarrassed to say to you that my wife and I Practice tithing. Okay? We believe that's the starting point for our giving from a biblical perspective. We take the, the broad view of scriptures, all the New Testament never talks about percentage. The Old Testament talks about percentages. And to be honest, if you add it all up, it comes to about 33%, because it was really a tax, okay, to keep the temple going, which is a central part of life, and many other aspects of what was happening in Israel as a nation. So it was different. Okay, so I don't legalistically say you need to give 10%, okay? But I will argue that before the Old Testament law, when Abraham encountered God, remember the story with King Melchizedek, here's what the Bible says. When Abraham encountered God, he gave him a tenth of everything he had. That's prior to teaching about tithe. It's just an illustration of how a believer in God responded out of their resources to God-given needs, okay? So I just I, so for us personally, if you if you came out to me and said, Well, what do you guys do? I'll tell you what I do, and you can check with the guys that count the offering. Okay? That's just what we that's what we believe that God has put in our hearts. Are there other things we do? Yes. Okay? Because we believe that when God blesses, there there are things called love offerings in scripture. I think what Paul's doing here is a love offering text. There's a need in Jerusalem. It's likely that both persecution and famine had driven the church in Jerusalem to deep need. Remember this. The church in Jerusalem was the home church, the mother church, that was sending out apostles to start other churches in areas where there was more abundance. And it became very typical that those in abundance, out of a generous heart, met the needs of those that were struggling. That's the way it should work. And I thank God that in our church family, that's often the way it has worked. When we've mentioned financial needs in people's lives, people have quickly stepped up. We haven't had to repeat it over and over, beg over and over. We've been able to say, here's a need, and typically that need's been met. I praise God for that. Okay? So the other thing that Paul's going to say is, get the collection ready before I get there. Okay? And, And what he says is, he says, so that there isn't the need for taking up an offering, when I arrive. Now, all I simply take out of that is this. Paul didn't want there to be a skirmish at the end because the need was so great and nothing had been done. He wanted it to be orderly so that people could prayerfully sense what God wanted them to do and do it. Paul says, don't do the collection when I get there. I don't want any hype. I don't want any pizzazz. You know, we don't need to come up with a crafty presentation on slides to get people to give. He said, just tell them there's a need. And if the heart is in tune with God, the heart will be inclined to say, I want to have a part in meeting that need. Folks, that's not just true monetarily, is it? You know, every believer has three resources. I've heard it summarized this way, and I love it. I have time, I have talents, and I have treasure. Those are three things that all of us have in unequal levels. But we all have, in the realm of time, we all have the same amount of time. We all have talents that can be used to assist others. And we all have a little bit of money or a lot of money. One of the two. Okay? And a whole scale in between. I want to challenge you in this way. If you're blessed with abundance, it is easy to write a check and never sacrifice. Okay? And let that settle in. It's easy to write a check and never give of myself. Okay, two And I think we actually subconsciously do this. I've done it. I gave to that. I don't need to get involved personally. Here's what we understand. In the gospel, God did not simply give something. He got involved personally. God had incredible abundance. that could do whatever he wants to do. But when it came to your salvation, God came down. And God got personally involved in your rescue. You know, what, folks, listen. There are times there are needs around you that cannot be met with a dollar bill. They can't. It takes you. Sometimes it takes both. So when we give to needs as a church family, we have kind of a, a bit of a structure of how we handle that. Somebody calls the office and says, oh, I can't afford to get my prescription. I say, great, give me the phone number of your pharmacy. We'll call and we'll pay that for you. Click. (laughs) You follow what happened, right? Well, I need, can you give me money so I can get a prescription? No. Will we help you with the prescription? Yes. Okay, what is it? It's just being wise. So here's what I'm saying to you. Sometimes if you simply give, give. And you never walk someone through life, you never get involved and disciple someone in the area of finances, you're not helping them. You're not helping them till you take your time and talents along with your treasure to help meet in need. The sad thing is that we think because I sacrifice in one area of resources that I'm therefore sacrificial. And that often is not the case. It's easy for me to give financially. It's another thing for me to get a phone call and say, "Can you meet me?" I got to recalculate. I got to change my schedule. I got to give up some of my time, and I am not—I don't always want to do that. Okay, so I I just hope that as you look at the collection, that it's more than just the in this case, it is financial. But if I walk away from this, forgetting 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians about gifts that are deployed to meet the needs of people around me, I have missed the meaning of the text. Okay? So Paul talks about the collection, that it is systematic, it is proportionate, and it is orderly. And I believe, here's what I believe. I believe that when we have a church that practices biblical giving, I'll let you arrive at your own conclusions about amount, what it means to be proportionate, okay? Okay? When you figure that out, here's what I believe God does. I believe God meets the needs of His work. I don't think the church ever has to beg. I think there are times there may be a special need and we have to say, hey, a special need came up outside of our normal giving. And here's what we've watched. We've watched people step up and say, I want to be part of that. And here's what I find. Those are the happiest people I know. Okay? They're the happiest people I know the distribution of the gifts. So Paul's got the, he's going to come and he's going to get the money. Okay, Paul, what are you going to do with it? Okay, the first thing Paul's going to say is I don't touch money. Okay, as 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 a pastoral team in our church, I I probably should know what an offering total has been sometime this year, I'll be honest with you. I haven't heard an offering total all year. Okay? I just, are, are we okay? So <laughs> I asked the guys that do. Are we okay? Like, we're fine. I'm like, praise God. I, and I'm not kidding you, okay? People sometimes have sent a check. I have family members. sent a check to the church. Hey, did you get the check I sent? Six months ago. <laughs> never said thanks. This a little thanks. But, but I never see, like that's the way we have it set up. So that there's authenticity, transparency, protection, okay? Paul addresses that concern. When you give to an organization, you better check it out. Because there are a lot of people abusing funds that are given to nonprofits. Predominantly so. Okay? You you need to get involved with the ministry that you sense God is tugging your heart to give to. Go talk to the people that are involved. Understand what's going on. So that God's resources aren't squandered in dishonesty. That's Paul's concern as he writes this. Well, somebody says in verse 3. If you ever wonder why I pause when I look down at the text. It's because the numbers, when I print out the text, are like in font size 3. And I have the whole text printed out in font 14. Okay, you can almost read my from here. Okay, so if, I, if you ever see me just go like, he looks lost, I am. Okay? <laughs> so here's what Paul says. So do this so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Then when I arrive, so Paul, get the collection ready. And Paul's saying, I'm coming for a visit. And here's what he says, when I get there, I will give letters of introduction. These are um, reference letters, okay? He says, I will give letters of introduction to those that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. What is Paul ensuring? That you who collected the gift choose people from within your community that are trusted. They're fiduciaries. You can that you can, they can function as trustees with the gift that you've collected. Because here's the bottom line. Every gift you and I give comes out of hard-earned money, typically. So it should be dealt with in a serious way. It's personal sacrifice that gets it. And I'm concerned about how it's handled. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I'll write letters that introduce the, the people that are taking the gift that they'll know that those that transported the gift didn't take anything out of the bag. That everything was sent was sent by trusted people. Now, isn't it true? For me, it's true, okay? That when I give to organizations, I'm often assuming that there is a process in place to protect the giving. This text is telling us exactly that there was a process. That it wasn't just give and trust us, it's understand the prompt. Paul's laying it out for them. I love how practical that is. And transparent and how authentic that is. Because optics matter. They matter in the world that I live in. That's why I love to say to people, I've never touched the money in the church. All right, Not because I don't trust myself. It's the optics. And not that people in the church wouldn't trust me. It's the optics. You never want to put people in a place where they have to wonder about how pure your motives are. It should be clear that by the, the structures that you set up that you're concerned for them to not have to wonder. It's part of leadership responsibility. It's part of being in a trusted position. So in our church, and, and I wanted to say this is very practical, we have a division of duties amongst those that handle the finances, those that write checks can't sign checks. Okay, does that make sense? You can write the check, but you have to get some. Multiple people have to be involved in every expenditure in our church. Okay, it's the way we do it. Those that count the offering don't deposit the offering. Okay, it's just those are two. Simple things we do that gets three to four people involved. The other thing we do is this. We try to keep it at a minimum, the number of people involved, because that's a private matter, people's giving. Okay? And that's why we as a leadership team, what you as a church know, we don't get involved in that stuff. It's none of our business. It's between you and God. Okay? Our job is to teach you how to relate with God in relationship to giving. Okay? And I believe this, I believe optics matter to those that are seekers that visit and want to know the truth about Christ. And so we set up a structure in terms of how we give that protects their understanding, they realize that those people aren't wanting my money. They're not there to get what I have, okay? They're there because they love Christ and they handle things with integrity. So here's the last thought then. So we have the collection, we have the distribution, and then the motivation of Christian giving. Okay, and this this gets to the, what if I will say this, the heart of the matter. Okay? And let me just read these three basic principles to you. Okay, I believe that for all of us there is some satisfaction in giving. If God's given you the gift of giving, you like helping people. I do. Personally, I enjoy going and helping someone out. Okay? I'm not telling you I do it as much as I should. But if there's a need, and there's a number of people in our church that I can call and say, hey, can you go help me meet this need? Okay, there's, there's a there's a joy that comes out of that, but let me tell you, that is not the motivation for biblical generosity, okay? It's not the driver, because if you like helping people because you, you get satisfaction out of it, and then you get burned, guess what? That satisfaction doesn't work anymore, okay? That, oh, it felt good to help you, okay? That's all good, as long as the recipient is doing what you expected, but when they abuse it, you need a different motivation, <laughs> Okay, and that's just being brutally honest. Okay, so these, I think, are motivations for giving. Number one is this, because generosity breaks the threatening bondage of material things. I want to tell you something, folks. If there's one thing that scriptures warn you about. It warns you about the threatening bondage of material things to think that as I get things together, as my bank account and retirement accounts increase, I start to become a slave to, I start to want that more than I realize. That's why when the markets shake and go down, which they will, okay, you may find it more disturbing than you thought it would be because you're more inclined to be in bondage to it than you realize. So what does Paul say? 1 Timothy 6, here's what he says. And how do I keep from the money thing becoming a main thing? Be like a, it's, a, it's a concern, it's a driving issue in my life. How do I knock that out of place? Here's what it says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Meaning, to, to not be arrogant means to think my life is stable because I have enough saved up. I have enough invested in the market. Okay, that kind of thinking that becomes self-assured. He says, don't let them put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure in heaven for themselves as a firm foundation so they may take hold of that which is really life. Here's the problem. When I have enough, whatever that is, I contend to trust in that or I can rest in that instead of in the Lord. Okay, so what does Paul say? To keep from trusting in what you have accumulated, start giving from what you've accumulated. That giving is saying, God, I trust you, not this. It frees me from the bondage of looking at how my retirement plan is doing on a regular basis at work. Because it's not what my life is all about. Okay, so giving... Breaks the threatening bondage of material things. That's one reason I should be generous. Secondly, generous giving, and I hope you lay hold of this promise. Generous giving increases our capacity to serve others. Okay? Now, I'll read you this text, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give as he has decided in his heart. That is, it's a personal matter but proportionate. He should give as he's decided in his heart to give. Not under compulsion. Not, oh, I have to. If you give because you have to, don't. Okay? Wait until God moves your heart to say, I want to. Okay, Don't. God said, don't do it under compulsion. That's why Paul says, when I get there, I don't want you to do the collection because I don't want people to think they have to because the apostle with the capital A is in town. Okay, he wants them to give because God's put it on their heart to do it. Don't do it under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that at, in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. What's the context? Sowing and reaping. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. To make you rich? No. In this text, it says, so that you may be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So it's not giving to get. And that's what I would call the prosperity gospel, right? Where I give more because God's promised that He's going to make me rich. That's a lie. It's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible does say is, is that as you're generous with God, he says if you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. So if you look at your financial standing in your life and you say, why am I always struggling? Can I ask you to ask yourself a question? I'm not going to ask it to you. Ask yourself a question. How's my giving? Is it, not am I giving, but is it generous? Okay? Because God has a promise for the generous. And it seems to me, and I would say this is one of those broad-reaching principles I don't think it's one of those hard and fast things, but it's a broad-reaching principle that the more generous I am, God will not increase my lifestyle, but He will increase my capacity to do good to others. I love that truth. I, I put that to test when I was in college a couple times, and it was always, it was almost fleece, fleece-ish, if you understand the story from the Old Testament. I was like, okay, God, there's a little need. That's never significant, Okay. But I did that. And I watched God on a number of occasions as the young man validate that promise. Trust me. If you sow a little, you get a little. If you sow a lot, you will get a lot to do good. Okay? So it's not to make your life better. It's to glorify God more in meeting the needs of His people. And the last thing is this and this is the last motivation, nothing drives generosity like the gospel. If if the cross work of Christ doesn't break open your checkbook or your wallet, nothing I say can. Okay? So everything I've said up to this point, the gospel aside, will not change you. But when you bring into this Understanding of giving that Paul has using first and second Corinthians, you start to get this understanding that that nothing drives generosity like the gospel. Meaning for every believer, it is important that we daily treasure the crosswork of Christ as our only hope. And when we do that, it will free us to serve people like Jesus serves us. It's a liberating, and it will also, I think, work to protect you from the bondage of material things. 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. How, John? Jesus Christ laid down His life, which is to say He gave everything for you. To pay the full debt of your sin. So that you could be 100% forgiven apart from anything out of your wallet, checkbook, or piggy bank. He paid the full price. He laid down his life. And then he goes on to say, we therefore ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And here's what John does without skipping a heartbeat. If anyone has material possessions. So what is he doing? He's reflecting on the cross of Christ. Amazing generosity. Amazing grace. And he's deriving from it a principle that relates... I was going to pull out my wallet and show you, but I don't know where my wallet is right now. (laughs) That's not mine. I'll take it, though. (laughs) Because I like to be generous with other people's money. (laughs) Okay. It it, it doesn't derive from there. It derives from what Christ has done. And so, so he says if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity, there's no... There's that awe, that collective pity, sigh but there's no action. Here's what John says. John mystified says this, how can the love of God be in that person? What he's really saying is, you don't know if you're a true Christian if you're not generous. Now, you don't become a Christian by being generous. Okay, understand. But if the cross work of Christ isn't vivid for you, if it's not glorious for you, if it's not astonishing and stunning and amazing to you, to the point that it When you see a need, you just, there's just this. John is saying, you need to look into your heart. Sometimes as Christians, here's what we need to do. We need to go back and re-examine the gospel. That's why we encourage seeing the cross of Christ. So that we respond with passion and amazement and generosity. You see, so that our worship inspires our worship in giving. Because our giving is as much worship as what we call worship on Sunday morning. And that's one of our problems at times, right? That's worship. And this is giving. I'm sorry. That's worship. And that's worship. And that changes everything. Okay? Then you don't have to beg. You don't have to do it compulsory. It's just, no, God... I am conscious that I've been so blessed. John says, if that's not your attitude, you need to get back and look at the cross. Christ's work equals how I deal with my material things. That's what that text says. So we know how the collection was done, right? It's simple, okay? We know how it was distributed. There was just authenticity and integrity. What's going to make the collection available? A heart that loves God a heart that's not living for what's going to pass. And you know, I've had the benefit of hanging around some people in the recent years that have a lot of money. And when they die, they leave it all behind. And so will I. I want to get to my deathbed looking forward. You know what Jesus said? He said, lay up treasure for yourselves in heaven. He didn't mean monetary he meant lay so hold of eternal glory that it changes how you deal with your checkbook and wallet. Do you see? Laying up is, it, Rick Warren says, that, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Here's what Jesus said when you give to the poor, you're giving to me. Not me to give to the church in that case, but when you give to someone in need, Jesus says, I take it very personally. So I want to encourage us as a church, not only in this setting, because God's blessing and, and the needs are being met. That's what I understand from the guys that take care of the money, okay? And I'm thankful for that. I, I could not be in a church where we had to beg for money. And we looked at building a building down in, in, in Stewardsville, and it was going to be a loan of a million and a half. I was like, I'm out. I am out. And God brings a way for us to wisely as a church be in a building. Well, we are the same cost here as we were at a rental. That blows my mind. Seats twice the number of people, parks twice as many cars for less. That's God. And I'm convinced that when we as a church practice generosity towards God's work, He freed us from debt for a reason. Okay? Because there's things He wants us to do. And as we become generous, with our resources, we can do more of what God wants us to do. That's the bottom line. Okay? So I want you, I, I, honestly, I said this. I talked to Julia Henning, that she issues with me and my wife. We were tied. I said, I just want this, t- I want it to be encouraging for our hearts to know biblical truth about giving so that it changes how we relate to our temporary things so that we lay up treasure in heaven so that when this life comes to an end, I'm not leaving things behind I'm going on to my reward. Okay, that's where I want to be. Not hanging on. I have close relatives that are hanging on. They got a good life. And I say to them, it's not that good. It's not that good. It's good, it's great, I love it. I love the blessing of God in their life, but it's not that good. And sometimes you've got to start to make a shift. So that that becomes more precious to you than anything else. And then that will change how you live. It will change how you parent. It will change how you husband, wife, relate as friends. It will change everything. Because material things are a threatening bondage. And you break it by gazing at the cross and responding in generosity. May God help us to do that. Father, thank you for your word. For the truth that this text exposes... Let us be so in love with Jesus that our giving is just natural and that the needs of your work are simply met by your design and plan. Help us to love the gospel more. God, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who has never trusted Christ, they're a seeker, they're longing, they're looking, they want to know the truth, help them to know that the gospel, the cross work of Christ, is a free gift that forever changes the heart of every repentant sinner. God, maybe even as we sing our closing song, someone might come up today and say, Pastor Tim, today I want to trust Christ. I want to know that free gift of eternal life. God has showed me my sinfulness and is drawing me. I want to trust Him today. I want to encourage you, friend, come. Come as we sing. And God, fill our hearts with love for you so that we go out of this place to be generous in every aspect, time, talent, and treasure. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen.